Asi džiu, a sveiki fizirai. Good morning, good morning. Well, <laughs> it's me again. Wow, well, well, once again, happy new year, happy new year. You know what's funny? Uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, well, that's not funny, Philippians chapter 3 is not funny. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, we read, brethren, it's from the New King James, brethren, I count not myself to be apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth to the things that are before. And then in verse 14, it says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we have a new year, 2020. My children kind of reminded me, Dad, you turn 50 next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow! 50 years old. And I was thinking, wow, that's, that's half a century. I mean, that's, that's a good innings. That's a good innings. But we, I, I don't know what 2019 held for you. I don't know what 2019 held for you regarding hurts that you may have experienced, uh, disappointments that have may have crossed your paths, hardships and struggles that you might have gone through in the past year. I don't know what 2020 holds for you, the disappointments, the hurts, and the hardships that will face you in the coming year. What I do know, as Paul says in Philippians 3.13, we are told to forget those things that are behind and to press on to those things that are before. And the things we are to press on before is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because irrespective, like, the, the things we're told to forget are, yeah, the hardships, the struggles, the difficulties, but also uh, we can't remember the victories, the triumphs as well, and the promises fulfilled. Uh, because we know God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, will continue to reveal himself time and time again. Now, there are people within this church who I know, who we know, who have gone through some hardships and some hurts, and some difficulties. One such brother is our brother Mark. For those who don't know, brother Mark has been going through a lot of real issues at the moment, who I believe is still in Canada and will be back very, very soon. And, um, if you don't mind, I will just take a, a bit of a moment to pray for him as well at this time, uh, because there have been various things discovered as well as there's been metal found in his lungs because of his job as well. And we just pray for God's providence and blessing upon him at this time as well. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll carry on with the message. Um, Father, I thank you for our brother Mark, and I thank you for your faithfulness and goodness to him as well. Uh, Father, with the internal bleeding that's taking place within him even now, and with the, the condition that has been found within his lungs, we ask that you will lay your healing hand upon him even now, um, that you'll give him the strength to endure such things. Father, if you don't provide a miraculous healing where you can just touch him, that you will touch him through the doctors, through the wisdom of the medical people, and that he'll respond well to medication. Father, I pray you will give him a heart that is sensitive to you, knowing that you are there. We ask that you will wrap, you will wrap him in your arms even now and comfort him as he looks to the coming year of 2020 and see your amazing hand at work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know we've been praying a lot, but this is one thing I want to do before I start preaching as well. There should not be an empty seat next to you. If you're sitting by yourself, sit next to someone else right now, please. Thank you very much. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Pam, I know you sat in front for so, so Pam, Pam did sit next to me and I left her. <laughs> and I left her. I apologize, Pamela, for that. All right, so Jimmy, come on, move over, please. Oh, Ellie's there, but she's not there at the moment, bro. Come on. This is what I want you to do before we start preaching and looking into the word today. The people that are next to you as you look at the coming year, as you look at 2020, you have probably made some sort of resolutions. You've probably made some sort of promises. You've probably desired something to take place within this year and thought, yeah, I'm going to do it. What I would like you to do with the person next to you or the people next to you, I would like you to pray for each other now. I would like you to pray for them. You can ask if you like, but I'm going to give you two minutes just to pray for the person next to you about this coming year. That you'll pray for God's blessing upon them. That you'll pray for God's stirring within their hearts to be faithful to Him. That you'll pray for them to be drawn closer to Him and that they'll have their eyes upon him and on him alone. So I want to ask you guys to do that now, please. Pray for the person next to you, and then I'll close in prayer after that again.
Okay, you guys can keep on praying. I'm just going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege to approach your throne room of grace. We thank you for the opportunity we have to pray for one another as we look to the coming year. We thank you that you will make yourself evident to us with each passing day. We pray, Father, you will help us to have our eyes focused upon you, that we will not look to the left nor to the right, but look unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we ask for your blessing now as we look into your word, that you will minister to our hearts, that you will open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and give us the courage to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. It's really funny how in a new year, we have this, this newfound enthusiasm to get things done in life. We're, we're much like the year seven student. This is Jirel when he started last year as year seven. Beginning high school, a new circumstance, a new event, keen to make the year count with a fresh enthusiasm, prepared to forget the things that hindered us, prepared to forget the things that distracted us, and to accomplish what we really wanted to do. Jirel was the only student when he started the first three weeks of school to wear his tie. He was the only one. Now, spiritually speaking, we desire to do the same thing. With fresh enthusiasm, we desire to read our Bibles every day. We desire to pray every night. We desire to evangelize every moment and to step out by faith at every opportunity. But, much like the year seven student, we are either overwhelmed by the size of the goals that we have set ourselves, distracted by the more appealing activities at high school, girls, or guys, sorry, forgive me, okay? I'm speaking from Jarrell's perspective. Or entertained by the fun of various pleasures. All leading someone, especially a student, astray from the primary purpose of a year seven student being at school, which is to what? Learn. Now, in a spiritual sense, I too can be overwhelmed by the goals I set myself thinking that by formula and that by ritual, I will become a spiritual giant only to fail time and time again because I have sought the spiritual success via my own human effort. And I become overwhelmed and frustrated when it doesn't meet the expectation that I set myself. I can also be distracted very, very easily by what people are or are not doing in their action as Christians, which means that my eyes are on them and what they are not or are doing as opposed to upon Jesus. If you read at the end of John when Peter is walking with Jesus and Jesus asks him, do you love me three times? He says, yes, I know I love you. And then it says Peter looks over his shoulder and he sees the one whom Jesus loves following. And then he says, what about him? What did Jesus say to him? He says, what he's doing, it's got nothing to do with what I'm asking you. He says, if I say that he lives until I return, so be it. He says, you feed my sheep. You fulfill your call. Don't be distracted by what people are or are not doing. And lastly, I can be entertained by my own pleasure and enjoyment of things that are not of God. For example, a lot of us can find, and myself included, we can find enjoyment in gossip about other people's situations. We can find the secret joy of when you know you're right when someone else falls. Or just soaking up and using the way, means, and justifications of worldly methods for your own personal entertainment and enjoyment. And we can be distracted from that, thus, I think it's appropriate, seeing this is the first service of 2020, for you to answer, and for me, to answer two questions. Two questions regarding the coming year. What's important to you, and why? What is important to you, and why? 
That's the first thing that we need to establish in regards how we prioritize what is truly valuable in life. What is truly valuable to you? I cannot answer that question for you. Now, the spiritual answer, the the, the, the Sunday school answer, what is important to you and why? The Sunday school answer, Jesus. Jesus, because he died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, because he saved me. That's, 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 the, that's the correct answer, but is it the real answer for you? What is important to you and why? And the second question, how do you, how do you prioritize the things in life that ensures it continually holds its importance. How do you ensure that something that is important to you remains important? How something that is valuable to you remains valuable? How something that is precious to you remains precious? This morning, I wanted to share with you a word of, I guess you could say, biblical wisdom taken from the book of Proverbs. And prayerfully, we'll be able to take this wisdom into 2020, whereby we are not drawn away, distracted, or hindered in our relationship with Jesus, who is our primary goal. It's what I call biblical wisdom for 2020. So if you've got your Bibles open to Proverbs chapter 2, it's actually a great great passage of Scripture, and we are going to read from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through to 5. I'm going to read from the NIV. Here we go. If you have turned there. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commandments within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. There are three points I want to take from this passage that prayerfully will be somewhat applicable to our lives, especially with the goals that we set in our relationship with Jesus. See, the first thing begins with a recognition. Recognition. In Romans chapter 6, the word reckon is used when he says, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin. Reckon means it's about you understanding and seeing something for what it is. Reckon knows, reckon means that you understand what it is in such a way that it does actually affect your conduct and what you choose to do. Because verse 1 starts with two words, two words which are absolutely vital, especially when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And these two words are, my son. It says, my son, the recognition of who you belong to, the recognition of how much you are loved. My son implies that who is talking to me? My father. A father that is involved. A father that desires to impart. The father that invests into. He says, my son. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, which I have quoted time and time and time again, which you yourself should know off the top of your head. Behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon me that I should be called the Son of God, my Son, the Creator of the universe, who addresses someone as feeble of me, made as dust, made from the dust, full of sin, and yet he says, my Son. As a parent communicating to their child, as a parent that is saying, I want to invest into you, as a parent that is saying, I am here, listen to what I have to say. In the beginning of 2020, God is crying out to us as, his, as our parent, saying to us, listen, listen, my daughter, Eva, listen, my son, Kenny, listen, my son, Jimmy, listen, my child, because he has something 
to say to us. A privilege granted to us in Jesus Christ when we, by grace, through faith, are born again by the Spirit of God. He says to us, my son. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through to 16 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I'll read that again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are, present tense, are, factual, are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I know, I know you know this, whereby we cry, Dad. Whereby we cry, Father. This is the wonderful privilege that has been imparted to us that we need to recognize that we are the children of the Most High God. That, that these two words refer to the nature of our relationship. The nature of our relationship. Chris, Chris, I like Chris. The way Chris treats his children is different to the way he treats me or the way he treats other people's children. Why? Because Jenna and Jeremy can cry out and say, Dad, can you do this? They, the, Jenna and Jeremy can jump, go into their room while Dad and Mum are asleep, jump on the bed, cuddle up and say, I love you, Dad. Can you imagine if I did that? <laughs> Can you imagine if I jumped onto Chris's bed Sunday morning, cuddled up and say, hey, Chris, bro, I love you, man. He would be freaked out and scared out of his wits because a large Polynesian man jumped on his bed. The first thing he's going to ask is, what are you doing in my bed? But that wouldn't be the thing with his kids, would it? The freedom for them to enter whenever, I mean, they would knock first because they're polite children. But whenever they could go, they have access to their parents. Because Chris says to Jeremy, my son, my son, I'm available to you. My daughter, I'm here. This is an understanding that we need to get a hold of, that our father invites us to him. Our father went to the greatest of extents to make us his children, then why would he reject us? We read that, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. That is the blessing of these two words. Two words, my son, that communicate the intimacy that can only be shared in a family, that can only be shared by blood, that can only be shared by the blood of the lamb that was shed for us. And so once we have this understanding of who we are, the recognition that, that, that is granted to us in Jesus Christ, we have this, the aspect of choice. Yes, yes, we recognize who we are. Yes, we are the children of God, born again of the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But then we are given this whole idea of Choice. There are a number of words in this passage as a father to his child, and it refers to the child's choice, the responsibility that the child has in their role, in their attitude, and in their conduct with him. The observation has been made by J. Oswald Sanders, who is one of my favorite authors. Most of every of his books are really good. Spiritual Leadership is a very excellent book. I encourage you to read it. But J. Oswald Sanders says that you are only as close to God as you choose to be. You are only as close to God as you choose to be. Case in point, if you read in uh, Exodus 33, when Moses goes up into the highest of the high mountains and, and experiences God face to face, and he's talking with him, and he, and he says to God, show me, show me who you are, show me your glory. And so God puts him in the cleft of the rock. He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock, a great hymn. 
and he passes by and he sees his glory, he sees his afterglow, which, which just, just encouraged and enlightened his faith. But you read about Joshua. What did Joshua do? Joshua stayed in the mountain, halfway up. He didn't go up with Moses. He stayed up halfway. When Joshua came back, where did Joshua stay? Joshua chose to stay within the temple of God. He wanted to be near. He, he made that choice himself. Moses didn't force him. He made that choice himself. You will notice all throughout Scripture, the choice people are willing to make in their conduct with and toward God. For good or for ill, the choice is made. For example, oh, it's the promise of John chapter, sorry, James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I, I, I skipped that. I'm sorry. But you see this take place. You see the choice all throughout Scripture of where, say, Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit. Genesis 3. Joseph chose to trust God, if you read through Genesis 39 through 41. Samson chose to play games with the gifts that God had given him in Judges 14 through 16. Jonah, he chose to run in Jonah chapter 1. Mary chose to accept her responsibility in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. We read, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. She chose to be her response, contrasting that with Zechariah, a priest who chose not to and rather chose to doubt in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. You have the story of blind Bartimaeus who chose to cry out in Mark chapter 10, verse 47, even when people said to him, shh, quiet, quiet, don't, don't disturb the master. What did he do? He chose to cry out even louder, so much so that he caught the attention of our Savior who said, bring him to me. You have the, the likes of Peter who chose to deny Jesus three times in Luke 22, 54 through 62. You have John who chose to be close to Jesus. In John chapter 13, you read it, it said that John was leaning, in the, in the New King James, was leaning against his chest. And he even asked just Jesus' personal questions. You notice even in that, in that uh, interaction with Jesus, Peter is the one that asks John. He asks John, he says, John, can you ask him who's going to betray him? Why didn't Peter ask himself? Why? Because John held that place of closeness. He chose to be close and to remain there with Jesus. And then you have the likes of Stephen who chose to stand up even at the cost of his life. Even at the cost of his life, he chose to stand up proclaim a message that had him condemned to death. But on the other side of it, he was blessed with the privilege of seeing, where it's only recorded in the Scripture this one time, of seeing the Son of, God stand, Son of God standing at the right hand of God. It's the only place in the Scripture where we're told that Christ is standing at God's right hand to welcome his servant who faithfully proclaimed his message. Every one of these examples is reference to the fact of what? Of personal choice. And, and this is the mystery of the Christian life that we need to come to great grasp and understanding. Yes, we recognize who we are as sons and daughters of God, but we still have the responsibility to choose, to choose and to make the choices in our walk with Him. For example, let me explain. He is responsible for creation. He made everything, therefore he owns everything. If anything, if humanity contributed anything in the first few books of Genesis, what did they contribute? The fact that we broke it. That's, that's our contribution to God's perfect work that he provided. We broke it. And you read that in, in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. The perfection God makes and the breaking that we cause. We literally, we literally are the spanners in the works. We're the, we're the monkey wrench. I don't know what, why, why it's called the monkey wrench. Anyway, 
He is responsible for our salvation. Even though we broke it, He is responsible for our salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. I contributed nothing to my salvation. Jesus died on the cross to take upon Himself God's wrath for my sin. If, if anything, my contribution to Jesus on the cross is that I put him there. That's my contribution. My sin, my selfishness, my attitude, that, that's the only contribution I have played in my salvation is the fact that I said, God, you're there because of me. That is my input. And it was my sin that put him there. It was my sin that he died for. Roman, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. I wonder if you've got your Bibles. I wonder if you can turn to that. I, oh, here we go. Look at that. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through I contributed nothing to his resurrection. I contributed nothing to his ascension. I contributed nothing to his sovereignty. I contributed nothing to his rule. He held all those things from eternity past. He holds it presently right now in time, and he will continue to hold it for all eternity. It's the reason why the writer of Hebrews quotes, in the, psalm, quotes the Psalms in Hebrews chapter 2. But he differentiates the, uh, the, the superiority of Jesus' lordship in the following manner. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 7 to 9, I've only got verse 9 up there, but I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 for you. This is what it says. He's quoting the psalmist. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them, meaning you made humanity, a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor, verse 8 says, and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Verse 9 says this, which is a beautiful verse. But we do see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Thus, with the position, power, and prestige that the Lord Jesus holds as King of kings and as Lord of lords, he gives you and I the freedom to choose to do what is right to choose to follow him closely, to choose to serve, to choose to prioritize, to choose to submit to his will, his ways, and his word. And this is evident in verses 1 through 4 with the language that is used by Solomon in Proverbs chapter 2. Because you read this. I won't put it up yet. He says this. He says in verse 1, if you accept, if you store, if you turn your ear, if you apply your heart, if you call out, if you cry aloud, if you look, and if you search. You know what that all implies? It implies choice. It implies choice. Yes, yes. And, and you look at what we have the opportunity to choose. Because he says, I want to read it again. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, that's choice. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, that's choice. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, that's choice. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, that is choice. That is the onus on us and the responsibility that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. If you do these, 
He's laid it out. If something is important to you, if something is valued by you, if something is cherished, precious, and desired, then we would willingly accept the words communicated to us. We would. You think about that which you hold dear in your life, whether it be relationally, your love for your spouse, your love for your children, whether it be professionally, you might have a love for your job, a love for your career, a love for what the future and what the career opportunities you may have. You may have a, 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 hold, hold these things precious to you. Do you find those things are important to you? So what do you do? You conduct yourself in a way that protects such things, don't you? You live in a way that ensures that your job can be held on to. You, you, man, you do good. You do good. You're diligent at work, aren't you? You show, time, you show up on time at work. You conduct yourself at work. Someone gives you a task. It's done. You protect your relationship with your spouse. That, that you'll do the washing. As a husband, you'll do the washing. Oh, yeah. I don't know. From the 1800s, you know, washboards. <laughs> That's Sorry. Sorry. I do have a washing machine, but that sort of represents it more. <laughs> you're, you're, but you protect it because you want to give your wife a break. Your, your wife will, 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 will put on a spread for you because you love your husband and say, here's some food, baby. And, and if you can't cook, I bought some food, baby, so you can eat, take out tonight. But you protect such things, don't you? You hold such things as valuable. You know what? You choose to do that. You choose to protect that and the person who you deem as valuable. God loves you so much that he died for you to make you his son. That's how valuable you are to him. He gave you his spirit who lives in you now. Why? Because that's how much you mean to him. He's given you purpose and given you the means to achieve that purpose because that's how much you mean to him. You are valuable to him. And that, that worth that you are given is reflected every moment you wake up and you see the sun rise. Every moment you open the pages of Scripture and God ministers to your heart. Every time you get down on your knees and ask God to move within you, that's what he reveals, how much you mean to him. That's why he says, reckon yourself a son. Reckon yourself as a child. Then, if we are willing to do such things for those who are close to us or for the jobs that we have, then how much more important then are we to impart such things, to choose to love, serve, cherish, protect our relationship with him who loved us and gave himself for us. How much more than that? How much more important are we to look at the, the God-breathed words that breathe life, that are profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, and instruction in righteousness? How valuable it is to store up that God-breathed word within our hearts so that I might not sin against you. How, how when our Lord and His Word is, is, is desired by us, and you read that in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, how, how cherished in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, how all these things that have been granted to us, how, how desired that you might grow thereby. You see, when these things are, are cherished, when these things are valued, precious, desired, when these things are important, you know what takes place within your soul and within my soul? Growth. Growth. Because our spirits are being fed and watered by the Word of God, being fed and strengthened by the Spirit of God to grow us as individuals, to grow us as husbands and wives, to grow us as a church, to grow us as Christians, as Christians, because growth takes place naturally. Change, godly change, takes place naturally. Which means then that there has to be a change in the way we see our relationship with Jesus, to change the way we see our relationship 
with His Word and, and to change the way we see our relationship with our calling, irrespective of the context we might find ourselves in. For it is when we accept, when we store, when we turn, when we apply, when we cry aloud, when we cry out, when we look and when we search after the Lord with the determination and vigor that we chase after food or that we chase after career or that we chase after a new house. Can you imagine, can you imagine the effort that we, that we put into for this life? If we could transfer that effort and, and ask God to help us to, to transfer that effort for the things of the world to the things of God, can you imagine the change that would take place? Can you imagine how the change of our parenting, the, the change of our marriages, the, the change of our workplaces with the, the vigor and the, the zeal? Man, because I know what I'm like. I know what I'm like. Uh, man, when I'm hungry... I will find food anywhere. I will find food anywhere, and I will go for it. I have never eaten anything out of the rubbish. Just want to impart that. I have thought about it. I remember I told the story once, and it stuck for some reason. I remember seeing a donut. It was still in its wrapper. It was still in its wrapper in the rubbish, sitting on top, and I'm like, and I thought about it. I was like, oh, do I want to? I want to, but I won't. So I didn't. But I regret it. Yeah, yeah, I regret it. It was a good, it was a cream donut too, you know? But you see what I mean? You see what I mean? The zeal, Julie's shaking her head going, I don't believe it. How disgusting, Joe. That's terrible. Sorry, Julie. But you, <laughs> but you, see, you see what I mean? And, and you, you know you. You know you. You know that when you want a promotion at work, the things that you're willing to do to get that promotion, to get the recognition, to get the, the, the people to identify, man, that Andrew Finn, great worker, let's promote him. You know what you'll do. Can you imagine if we applied that same hunger and thirst for the things of God? Can you imagine that? But you know what that means? That means making the choice. Making the choice that he has given us. I mean, and here's what's neat, is that when you do prioritize, when you make those choices for the things of God, when you seek first the kingdom of God, you look at the outcomes. You look at the outcomes. I used results, but I, I heard someone say outcomes here before because you're all like business people. I was like, yeah. Let's look at the outcomes. The outcomes that take place. <laughs> the outcomes that take place. We read, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's in verse 5. So firstly... The fear of the Lord is understood. And I take this to mean two things, all right? One, there is the right perception of who God is. There's the right perception of who God is. Uh, and the context and the context of that thing, of the fear of the Lord, we, we can translate that word to mean reverence. It is the reverence. It, it is standing in awe. It has been swept up by who he is, the knowledge of who he is, of the position he holds, of the power he has, of his workings, of his ways. You know, you know he is not one to be trifled with. You know that because you have the right perception of him. You see a snake, you are cautious of a snake. Red belly, black snake, they're not so bad, but the big brown snakes... Uh, we've, I've seen a few of those, been pretty crazy. But yeah, you have, and I think I shared the story when, when there was a, a red-bellied black snake in the place we used to live, and my dad, who doesn't know, he, he, he doesn't live in Australia, he lives in New Zealand. They don't have snakes in New Zealand. They have one poisonous spider, and that came from Australia. <laughs> but, but I remember my dad, who, who never experienced anything like that, he didn't have the right fear, because he's Polynesian. And so he walks, he walks, he walks to kill the snake because it's near the kids. He runs over and he takes a stick that is this big. <laughs> so it's a 30 centimeters long and he goes to hit it on the head. And I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm going to kill the snake, son. Yeah, you don't want to. Let's give something a little longer, a little longer. Well, yeah, like we did. We, we got, we got a, a very long bar and we killed it and things. And we got told that was illegal, but too bad. <laughs> so... But because you know it's not some, that a snake's not to be trifled with, God is not one who is to be trifled with. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatsoever man, let's take it from the King James, for whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. God is not one to be mocked. And you'll hear people mock him, and you'll see where that mocking will end up when when they come face to face with him. So it's the right perception. The second thing about understanding the fear of the Lord is that you fear him because he's he's worthy to be feared. He's a scary God. He's a scary God. You fear him because he is all-powerful. He is the cloud of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. He is the one who measures the universe in the span of his hand. He is the one who is the consuming fire in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. He is the one who is the mighty and terrible God in Deuteronomy 7, 21. That's scary. That is scary. Yes, he is worthy to be praised. Yes, he is to be reverenced. But man, the He is the one who spoke the universe into existence, who flung the stars into space. He is the one who parted the Red Sea by blowing a wind through the... the. He he is the one who destroyed a whole bunch of Israelites because they made a golden idol. This is why he is not to be trifled with. The fear of the Lord, yes, he is deserving of being reverenced. You have the right perception of him, but he also is deserving of our fear because he is a mighty and terrible God. He is the consuming fire. He is to be feared. He is to be reverenced and feared. And this is what we come to discover and appreciate more as we prioritize the word of God in reading and in living. Because as you spend time in reading, that fear, that, 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 that terror, that all falls into context. It falls into context, and you appreciate more the privileged position that we have been granted as his children. That's what makes it amazing. This God who is mighty, this God who is terrible, loves me. This God who is all-powerful, this God who is the utmost, loves me. Can you understand that? That the same God who sits on high and rules over all there is says to you and says to me, my child, come, come, let us reason together. Come, all you who labor and who are heavy laden. Come, this God invites us. And, and it's, it's amazing because that, that fear of the Lord is mentioned 12 times in the book of Proverbs. But you look at what happens when you understand the fear of the Lord. You find that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, yes, because it helps you have the right perception. It helps you have the right fear. But you also find that the fear of the Lord adds to life. The fear of the Lord, because you have that right perception, because you have that right fear, it adds to your life. We have that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 14.27. And we read finally that the fear of the Lord, through the fear of the Lord, evil can be avoided. That's what it means. That if you apply, if you cry out, if you search as for hidden treasure, if if you apply for all these sorts of things, he says you will understand the fear of the Lord. And then secondly, you find the knowledge of God. Knowing God is what Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 3. Knowing God was the desire Moses had in Exodus 33, 13. He said, show me your ways that I might know you. Knowing God was Paul's prayer while in prison in Philippians 3, 10. The knowledge of God here is referring to the awareness and the knowledge of God relationally, which is the other side of the coin. When you have the fear of the Lord, like understand, knowing the fear of the Lord and, and, and finding the knowledge of God, understanding the fear of the Lord and finding the Lord, that's two sides of the same coin. Because it's as you find the knowledge of God that you grow to fear Him and reverence Him. And as you reverence Him and fear Him, you come to know Him more and more. And they feed each other. They're reliant upon each other. You cannot have one without the other. 
That's why the understanding and knowledge work coincide. They're, they're cohesive, and they feed each other continually, which makes it so amazing. So as you know, you learn to fear. As you fear, you come to know. That's the way God's designed it. And once again, though, but the choice is left to us. See, that's the outcome from when we choose to follow, when we choose to apply, when we choose to seek, when we choose to cry out, when we, when we ask for insight. That's what happens. And, and then you look at this. See, the fear of the Lord drives on to know who he is for himself and not what one creates him to be. And discovering the greatness of who he is, the knowledge drives one to reverence and fear him as a fact that cannot be had without the other. Therefore, with the beginning of 2020, with the biblical wisdom that is laid out before us, my encourage is to, to recognize, to recognize who we have become in Christ, to choose to prioritize him, his word, his ways, and to follow through on that choice by his spirit and power and see the outcomes that take place. When you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, but you read later in Proverbs chapter 2, look at this. He holds success in store for the upright. Success may not mean money. Success may not mean prosperity in your job. Success may mean an intimacy in your relationship with him, a development of your character, the becoming more like Jesus. So as you apply these things, as you follow through on these things, he holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose way of life is blameless. He guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Now, that last phrase, that knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, is, is actually quite different because we're told in Ecclesiastes with much knowledge comes much sorrow. The reason why it's much sorrow is because you're held accountable for what you know. But here, here, and we're told that this knowledge, this knowing is pleasant. It'll breathe life. It'll give life. It'll stir life. So for 2020, this morning, brothers and sisters, my encouragement for you is to recognize who you are and what God has made you. To make the right choices. I know that sounds like a real corny motivational talk. And I say it to the kids at school all the time when they leave and go off to high school. And I say to them, man, look, yeah, make the right choices. Make the right choice. Choose right. Choose right. But that applies to me now. To make the right choice as to who and what I'm going to prioritize in life and see the outcomes that God will bring about as you lay yourself to the side and allow Him to move where He wants to move within you and through you. I'm going to ask you to be upstanding. I want to close the prayer. I'm not going to have the music team come. I ask you to be upstanding. I want to close in prayer. Can you place a hand on the person next to you? Place a hand on the person next to you. And what I want you to do, the, the person that you prayed for today, they may not be next to you, the person that you prayed for today, even just for this week, I'd like for you to pray, that, pray for that person every day this week, please. Pray for them every day this week. Pray for God's blessing. Pray for, for, for their growth. Pray for their conviction of sin within their own lives. But I want you to pray for them every day this week. Please, please do that. Um, because it is a new year. And, and the blessing is this, that even though we will stuff up, and we will stuff up, uh, as like a year seven student, the joy is our God always invites us back to make the right choice and to come back to him. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and ask that you will open our eyes to see and to recognize who you have made us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made to make us your child. We thank you for the death that he died so that we might have life. We thank you that you rose again and alive at the right hand of Father and because you live, we can live also. 
Father, I ask that whatever we hold important to us, you will stir in our hearts to lay that aside if it is not of you. Father, whatever is important to us, that we will prioritize in the context of who you are and what you have done. Father, give us the courage that when you show us such things, we will act on them and make the right choices. We thank you for the blessing of the scripture that you invite us to choose. You invite us to make the right choices, to to apply, to to turn our ears, to, to call out, to cry aloud, to look for you and to search for you with our whole heart. And it is then, it is then that we understand the fear of the Lord. It is then that we find the knowledge of God. It is then we see growth take place within our hearts because we have placed you where you rightfully deserve to be. Actually, where you are even now. So we ask, Lord, as we look at 2020, as we look at our brothers and sisters here that are next to us, that you will help us, Father, to choose right, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness so that we as a church will not only grow as individuals, we as a church will grow as a body for your glory and in your name we ask. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. I would like to invite the prayer team up. This is a great opportunity to be prayed for this morning. Please come forward, the prayer team. We would love to pray for you this morning, to pray for over 2020, to pray and see what God will do. Please come forward. Don't be shy. We would love to pray.